0: Hello you, my name is Lauren Layfield and this is your next podcast. The show the podcast fans everywhere have been waiting for. Let's face it, finding something to get stuck into can feel a little bit like too much work. So allow me to take the strain off for you. Every week, I'll play you the first episode of a show I think you'll love. And that means if you follow your next podcast, you'll also have a ready-made list of brilliant things to binge. This week, I want to recommend f Hormones. It's the first show I've heard of which evolved out of a regular after-work pub trip, which is excellent in my eyes. You're creeping me out a bit. It's <laughs> like that ASMR thing, isn't Sorry. it? Oh. <laughs> I feel all dirty all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The four women behind it describe themselves as a bunch of perimenopausal ex-ravers who got fed up with menopausal women being represented as if being, quotation marks, it. And their aim is to give women all the information they need to navigate that stage of life. They also get stuck into a bit of campaigning too. To mark Menopause Month, which is October, if you didn't know, Effin Hormones talks to Dr. Nigat Arif about her new book, The Knowledge. If you've seen Dr. Arif on Breakfast Telly, you'll know what a powerhouse she is. Hola,
1: and welcome to Effin Hormones, the podcast about perimenopause and beyond. I'm Emma Goswell... And you know what? It's a real joy to be back after our little summer break. How have you been? Really good, I hope, and I really hope you've been rolling with all the changes that can come at this time of life. Look, we know how you feel, and we've got you. In this episode, you're going to hear from the utterly fabulous Dr Negat Arif. And if you're in the UK, you've probably seen her on the telly already, because she's the resident doctor on BBC Breakfast and on This Morning on ITV as well. Yes, She's very busy. Now, you're gonna hear all about Nigat's book, which is called The Knowledge. It's all about women's health from periods right through to menopause. And it's full of great advice on how to empower yourself to take charge of your own health. In fact, she's so brilliant, here's a little sneak
2: peek. Do you know what success is? It's what you have up here in your brain, and then pass that on. Your knowledge to your community, and then somewhere down the line, there could be another nine-year-old McGat who will just say, "Oh, I already know about pads with wings."
1: All of that to come, so stay with us. But first of all, it's time for a catch-up with me mates. It's the gang. Woo! Helen,
3: Beena, and Terry. How Here are we girls? are. Hello. In person. We are actually in person for the first OMG. time in over twelve months. I can well. smell your breath. Oh my god. <laughs> I could reach out and touch you. Yeah. Oh, you're creeping me out a bit. It's like Sorry. that ASMR thing, isn't Sorry. it? Oh. Sorry. <laughs> I feel all dirty all of a sudden. <laughs> Sorry. We've literally we only just, just started. Really. And already it's, <laughs> getting like, it's getting creepy it's you know, weird.
4: weird. and creepy and a bit dirty. So <laughs> we go
3: to get some smints?
1: <laughs> We've just had a lovely, um, what would you call it? Spreads. lovely spread round Terry's. Yeah. tea. Picky tea, that's picky what picky it. it is a picky tea. It's a picky tea, or oh, hummus,
3: dips, you can't go wrong, can you? Thank you, Terry, it's very kind of you. Would have said cheese and wine, but none of you had wine, you're all on the tea. I know, mm. how times change, eh? Oh, I, I was know. up till midnight having a cheese and wine party with the dog, which was why i not doing
1: the <laughs> <time. laughs> Do you think I'm joking? We have this thing called the cheese tax in our house, and if oh, you, got if it, you, if you the open the fridge tacks. and approach yeah. the cheese, you'll hear... Oh really Labrador behind you, and you've got to give him some of the cheese. It's the rule. Have you not tux. seen the
4: cheese tax on on Instagram? No. Do you not know about this? No. Oh, oh my God, thing. it's so funny. It's a thing. It's a, it's a thing. Yeah. yeah. There's a little song. You've got to pay the cheese tax every time you. That's when. And then like all the dogs turn up, and then there's like dogs in bow ties, and then there's like dogs like walking on their hind legs. Honestly, it's brilliant. Time well
3: spent, Helen. Listen,
4: when you've got a nine year old who watches quite a lot of YouTube, you know these things get drilled in.
1: Um, so, listen, season four, this is exciting. And we haven't been together in person for a long time, so we've got loads to catch up on, surely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anyone got news? Well,
5: I've just been away for the summer, really. I've had a lovely summer. So, yeah, yeah, cruising.
1: Cruising, <laughs> cruising the med.
3: I've been cruising. Any yeah.
4: hormonal shizzle, or is it all going okay? Emma's been I'm dogging, not you've been so cruising. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep's starting to
3: fall apart, huh? I said, Emma's been dogging, you've been cruising. Oh, yeah, she's oh, I've dogging. Been dogging. The oh, dog in cheese
5: and whining with the dog. Oh in. right, yeah. yeah. Um, I think <laughs> I couldn't think of a witty enough comeback <laughs> for what you might have been up to then. They're all weak. Uh, uh, yeah, no. I think hormones. Yeah, sleep, sleep, um, mood. If I'm honest, um, mm. my periods are down to one day now. Oh, right. which is
3: interesting. Mm. Have you start? You were prescribed HRT ages ago. Have you actually started it yet? Yeah, no. Oh, so have I did. You? Oh, did But then you? I had to go
5: back because I wasn't getting on great with it. And then because there was a bit of a shortage, I think it was just like, let's just wait a bit longer. I I opted to wait a bit longer to go back because what the GP and I were discussing was like how to start something. Because what I think she was looking to put me on, there there was a known shortage.
3: Yeah, that was pretty much everything. Every shortage of at one point.
5: And um, so she was sort of saying, listen, we could start you on this, but then you might go a period without, like there's a total shortage. So would you rather wait? Like if you're feeling all right, I was like, yeah, I feel okay, and and because I I understand a lot of what's going on, I can reason it. You know, do you know what I mean? Like I'm not mm-hmm. at my wits end, like I had been in the past. So I'm much calmer about it all, which I think is help. Is that you know that cycle you end mm-hmm. up in because you're freaking out and I'm like because I know what's going on, I'm much better at going, oh, it's this. Do you know what, mm-hmm. what I mean? Rather than go, what's wrong with me? I'm not doing that anymore. But I know what it. Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm not. You're just handling it all better. Yeah, I'm much more. Yeah, because I don't have things like I don't have hot flushes. My body temperature has fluctuated a bit more, but again, not not to the extremes that you know hot, the hot flush extreme. Changing your sheets in the middle? No, of the night God, type. no, none of that. But are, of you that.
3: Actually, sorry, are you sorry? Are you taking it then? Are you taking it? No, actually, oh, right, no, no, okay. no. So, so you're just managing it? Are you just yeah. Through... I mean, through
5: loads of vitamins, bit of exercise, eating all right, and also genuinely, I've been, I've been a, like I've been in the sun a lot. And I think that's made a massive difference. Yeah. If I'm honest, I think it's well, helped just to mood, massively. It? Yeah, yeah, mood, yeah, absolutely. A mood for a start, and I think because that's improved my mood, I think mm, the rest lots of it feels to be said less. For it. Yeah, and I'm sleeping okay. You know, my sleep started to go a bit, but I'm not as I'm not terrible. Yeah.
3: So what you were saying about so I think knowledge is half the battle because I when I first went on HRT, a lot of my symptoms were around sort of physical. There were migraines and palpitations and and I I had a lot of anxiety around that time which I put down to COVID but actually a lot of it I think I think it was a bit of both I think it was COVID but I know it was my hormones as well but now that I understand how hormones fluctuate when I start getting a panicky feeling that I was getting that anxiety feeling I mean I've done a bit of work on this as well to try and help myself deal with it but I think I recognize now that I'm not going to lose the plot when I start feeling like that Mm. and recognizing it is, is half the and, battle. And this is where and I understand what's all right going on And yeah. how,
5: because before I was fighting so hard to go, no, this, is, this isn't this is me going mad. Because yeah. mm. don't forget, I've had like mad shit like burning mouth syndrome. Oh, yeah. And I do get tingly. It gets tingly from time to time. I'm like, I know what it is. It's okay. So yeah, it's just, so, it, it's a little bit, I'm not saying this is right, but it is a bit mind over matter. Like I'm okay. I'm not, I know I do need HRT at some point, but for, for now I'm okay. Yeah. I'm actually okay. That's great to hear. Yeah.
4: How about you,
1: Anne? Well, I've got a weird update. Well, I've got two updates from the summer. I will start off with the hormone one, as we are talking hormones. Um, Now, as you know, I kind of pride myself as being postmenopausal the longest out of this group. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I might not have a clue what's going on, but I've been doing it
0: for quite a while.
1: I had my last period in January 2019. (laughs) I'm pregnant. Imagine that. (laughs) Yeah, I had my last period in January 2019. Until this summer, oh. I don't know what the fuck is going what? on. I suddenly, after not having a period for four years, had a period in August, like not a full one, like I would normally have, like a day one, like you would yeah. have had. I, I thought I was dying. I was like, oh, "Why yeah. am I bleeding from that hole? That's not <laughs> <laughs> that. that I mean, you shouldn't have bleeding from shouldn't, from be shouldn't be bleeding no, really? from any should yeah, should orifice. This yeah. just shouldn't happen to me." And I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have a, a much younger girlfriend who was still menstruating and I, I could readily get my hands on... Oh, I tried a sanitary towel, which is absolutely the oh worst thing, which I haven't worn since about 1984, by It was like a like yeah. the old waddle. Awful, aren't they? How do women wear them? They're vile. Yeah. Anyway, then I tried that for about half a day and I was like, I cannot walk around with this in my pants anymore. This is ridiculous. <laughs> to brick. And then had to insert a tampon for the first time in four years. It was horrific. <laughs> <laughs> I was not happy about the situation at all. <laughs> but so I just thought, it, but it, it literally just happened for a day and then it went. And did you, did you get like period cramps or anything like that? I have felt like I've been having period pains. Yeah. Oh. How mm. is that possible? How do you go for four
4: years without having one? I would mention that next time you go in. Yeah, I should tell you know me what? You, I would as
3: well, because I know someone else who's, in fact, I know two people and I recently took someone to... A gynecology appointment for that same reason. Who hadn't had a period in many years right. and hadn't had to bleed over summer. So worth getting it checked. Yeah, I should get it checked. Yeah, then, shouldn't you I, should really? get it checked. I was just yeah. too freaked out to. Yeah. Yeah. That must be quite freaky. Bring the doctor. Surprise! Surprise! <laughs> Have, a, <laughs> yeah. Have a look Four on um, Dr Louise Newson's website about oh, okay. postmenopausal bleeding as well. There might be some tips and suggestions on there about yeah. what it, you know, what to look out for and everything. I was just
4: in shock. Just, Did it sort of take you happy. back? Were you, were you sort of mentally catapulted back? Like once you kind of yeah. vaguely realised what was going on. And like? it just reminded me how I was always massively
1: underprepared because I never knew it was coming, but it probably was regular. But I was just too clueless to work it out and I'd always be caught unaware and not have a tampon with me and I'd oh. have blood in my knickers and I'd be like, oh, God, it's shit been a woman. And, yeah, yeah all of that came flooding back.
3: Oh. Flooding. All
1: the, awful, all the imra- awful memories. All flooding back. Yeah,
3: oh, all flooding back.
1: <laughs> 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 <Wow>. <laughs> Terrible. Oh. Anyway, so there's that. Other big news over the summer. Anyone notice anything
3: different about me? <gasps> have I you done it? No, look at this. Is it that, is that an engagement? Bingo. Have you done it? Have you had a little quiet... Have you had it? Have you done it? You've not done it without everyone, of you. Have you gone What are you and- talking no, about? No, she's not done the deed. Never d- I thought that might be a wedding ring. It's an, no, engagement, it's an engagement ring. ring. Yay. Congratulations. Yay. Woof, 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 an effing woof, woof, wedding! Woof. We have to get our effing hats on. I've got to yeah. get your effing hats on.
1: <laughs> I know. <but> I, <laughs> about time. There was, there was this thing on the radio of the other day and it was like, of oh, course, if you've done something new for the first time recently. And I was almost thinking of like texting in and going, well, for the first time today at the age of 52, I've worn a ring. On my fourth finger Aww. on my left hand. Let's see. I think it's a good... I think it's quite... Aww. It's quite inspirational. I'm hoping to other people in that, you know, I have really left things till later on in life. And that, that we talk about things being different at this period in our lives and a lot of the times it's said with sort of negativity, but I've had a baby at 50, become a mum, and at 52 I'm off the shelf. Yay! <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I'm engaged to be wedded. I know. Aww. Congratulations. So I'm, we're nice.
4: absolutely yeah. delighted for you, sweetheart. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. Exciting, brilliant. Brilliant news. Brilliant. News.
1: So, just in the process of planning a wedding. So, that's something to look forward to for everyone. It's going to keep you busy for a while, isn't it? Yeah, we are going to have an effing wedding.
3: Wee! Fantastic. Whee! Fantastic. <laughs>
1: Aww. But don't worry, no, you haven't missed a party. Yeah, I, or I just
3: look. thought, Oh my god, did you do it? Did you go and go to the registry office? Yeah. No, oh, did you elope? <laughs> yeah. Did to no, Gretna Green Don't worry. Yeah. You know I like a
1: party, Terry. I, do, I, do, it will I, do, yeah. I don't know why it will even crossed big, my
3: mind that you didn't have a It will be a big yeah.
1: fucking party, don't worry. You'll know about it,
3: don't <laughs> Excellent. worry. Excellent. Excellent. Well I hope we all get our effing invites. Yeah, Effin will. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's
1: we'll. great news Emma. my well done. Oh, thank you, girlies. Well, it is now time for you to hear from our guest for this episode, Dr. Nigat Arif. Dr. Nigat is a powerhouse when it comes to raising awareness and busting taboos all around women's health. She's a GP who specialises in women's health and family planning, and she's a medical educator too. Now, if you're based in the UK, you've probably seen her on the telly box uh, because she's the resident doctor on BBC Breakfast TV and ITV's This Morning. She's got her own radio show on BBC Three Counties Radio. She does brilliant reels on Instagram and on TikTok. Go and check those out. All about making women's health really easy to understand. And she's not adverse to a bit of singing and dancing on social media too, which we are very much in approval of. (laughs) And her book, The Knowledge, is literally everything you need to know about women's health. Talking about everything from menstruation to menopause. And we've seen a copy. It is beautiful, it's useful, it's inclusive, it's inspiring, and we are currently all fighting over who gets to read it first. Well, I think Terry won that battle. Uh, but welcome, <laughs> Dr. Nigar Arif. Thank you for joining Woo! us. Okay. Thank
2: you so much for having me. Oh, my goodness. What an introduction. And I've heard uh, you ladies are so cheeky, so this is <laughs> why
5: I'm
1: Don't worry. I really hope you've been listening. Yeah, we, we try our best. Um, so let's talk about, I mean, I mean, there's about a million subjects to de- to cover. But first of all, I think you came to our attention where back in 2019 when you were featured on the BBC Breakfast Menopause Week, which was really important for this podcast. It's kind of why we started. But how did it that come about for you?
2: I'll tell you what happened because I was on maternity leave and I'm breastfeeding at home, and you know when you get that moment and you're like, okay, I need to jot down what I see in my clinical practice. And at the time, I was going into the mosque and speaking to all the ladies and for decades I would say because I've been a doctor for 15 years I'm really old guys I've been around (laughs) (laughs) and the women would say to me I'm getting aches and pains and hot flushes and I go to the doctor the doctor gives me antidepressants but I know I'm not depressed and they would turn to me and um, I wasn't planning to become a women's health expert My trajectory was, I've done foundation years, so that's your house officer years, and I was on the road to be a gastroenterologist. I was going to scope people, I was going to (laughs) find bowel cancer, and I was going to save the world, and that was my trajectory. And I suddenly realized that the conversations that I was having with women at the mosque were always really hush-hush, we wouldn't talk about the Mm -hmm. menopausal symptoms, and then Women come to women, right? And women trust women. And I started seeing all the women in white surgery. I started taking women off hormone replacement therapy because the WHI study came out. And then women would come back to me, practically begging me to put them back on hormone replacement therapy. So I had gone through the whole rigmarole and I felt awful, felt terrible because I was not really helping the women in my community or the women in my surgery. I would say to the women at the mosque, I think what you're describing is perimenopause and they would be like, oh, no, and they would laugh at me and go, no, 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 Dr. McGat, we don't get the menopause, that's something that only <laughs> happens to white women. What? <laughs> I was like, what? So I was like, honestly, my jaw would drop and I would be like, okay, do you guys believe that heart attacks only happen to white women? And they're like, no, 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 we believe only men get heart attacks. So- <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. So I realized okay, the symptoms that women are describing to me are not always hot flushes. They're not always um, the, the typical symptoms that I had been taught at medical school. So as you do, I put it on Twitter, really to other doctors going, are you seeing a lot of women who are complaining of head-to-toe pain? And they, they and we're timing it. We're putting in our medical notes all over body pain or miscellaneous body pain. And I could never understand it. I do all the investigations and I couldn't find a real cause for it, and then just offered them pain relief or amitriptyline. And then lots of other doctors started going, oh, yeah, we're seeing this a lot in our Asian ladies as well. And it's around the time they're about 45. A producer, Lisa Kelly, who's still a dear friend of BBC Breakfast, saw that and said to me, "Uh, do you want to come on BBC Breakfast? We're doing something called Wake Up to the Menopause. And I just went, no, <laughs> go away. <laughs> and that was and that was literally how it started. Uh, oh,
1: I heard it was because they offered to do your makeup for you. That's why you wanted to get <laughs> That
2: was the next thing. That's good because then Lisa Kelly said to me, oh, are you sure? Because I put the phone down. Then I got another phone call about 15 minutes later and she said, um, we really would like you to come on because we're going to have this other, we just really are aware that there are no Asian women on our panel to talk about, The work and your clinical work, what you're seeing in your practice is going to be really important. And I was like, I've never done TV. I'm literally breastfeeding. I have a five-month-old. And she just went, oh, no. well, do your hair and makeup. And I went, I'm fucking there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what do you want me? <laughs> awesome. awesome. So you don't need to do my hair because I wear a hijab. job, but I am there if you can sort <laughs> out. Like oh, a I love that. Having
4: gone through the breastfeeding experience myself, like actually going and getting a pamper and someone making you look absolutely fantastic, I can totally understand that, why that That was, like.
2: that was it. That like, literally was the road onto, like, getting onto the BBC. Mm. I got bribed by a few... makeup (laughs) (laughs) and since
1: you've done that you you are I wouldn't use the word omnipresent but you're on quite a lot of different platforms radio tv social media why do you think that people have connected with you so much
2: well the first thing is I realize I don't look like your normal doctor on tv and so the, the funny story on BBC Breakfast was I sat there I had Dan and Louise um, talking to me about the symptoms and I started going on about vaginal atrophy. So before 8.30, people eating their breakfast and hearing about v- dry <laughs> <Love> vaginas. <it. laughs> and I looked Good and said you. that. And the producers were all scrambling around going, can we say vagina before eight <laughs> o'clock?" <8:12?" laughs> <laughs> like, I've said it now, I'm a doctor. That,
1: that is such a BBC conversation. I've had that <laughs> conversation <laughs> before. It is such a BBC exactly.
2: conversation. <laughs> and, and then I came off the sofa, I had just spent six minutes talking about what is my truth as a doctor right this is my clinical work I've been doing it for a well over a decade uh, albeit I do it behind closed doors but what struck me was the amount just from the back of that so many Asian women going oh my god somebody that looks like me was telling Mm -hmm. me symptoms that I had thought I was going crazy so you've got to look at the narrative from South Asian women right so our our lived-in experiences and our truths when it comes to our body is we don't like to talk about the psychological symptoms of the menopause because it's so taboo mm-hmm. to talk about mental health and depression in fact the word for mental health is actually phagun, which is translated as madness we don't actually have madness. mental health yeah. in our language and so the word for our body parts are also rude and swear words and we don't have a word in Punjabi or Urdu Uh, that directly translates as menopause. So you've got a doctor who's wearing a hijab, a Muslim woman, a badly Muslim woman, um, sitting on the sofa talking about, say, hot flashes and night sweats and insomnia and lack of libido. I mean, nobody talks about lack of libido. And is able to say, look, the words that we have, say, banji, which is translated as barren in Urdu, That's what we use. That's not menopause. However, I need to be able to give you the lexicon to be able to go to your NHS doctor and say, I don't need antidepressants. I need hormone replacement therapy, which is first line according to NICE since 2019. And I think that that bridging of information of two cultures and also recognising that this is my work, but it it allowed people to sort of warm to me. It's taken its time. It it wasn't easy going because... Let's face it; you don't normally see a, a doctor wearing a hijab talking about vaginal dryness on the BBC. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lack of libido, and so it, it it came with its sort of pros and cons. I initially had a lot of trolling and backlash, and I would say in the last six months or so, I've come to a really happy medium where people are like, "Oh, okay, I know who she is and what she does." Who was the Who was the uh, trolling and backlash from? So, off the back of BC Breakfast and the menopause campaign, I was talking about my work, but then something else happened, which was a novel virus called coronavirus. Do you remember that? that yeah. Happened? yeah. <laughs> nah. That little thing. That little thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <I've been> <laughs> and, and everybody went into shutdown, and people were sick and tired of seeing Matt Hancock in his toilet with all those books. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly. And so... Uh, I was doing my work, suddenly um, our GP doors were closed, but we were working online and via video telephone consultations. And Mm -hmm. the producers at BBC Breakfast sort of said, we're looking for some doctors to talk about what they're actually doing on the ground. It's gonna be known as the GP slot at 6.30 in the morning. Do you have a bookshelf? And I went, I don't, but I have a kitchen. And as you can see, I have like, this is where I sit and do a lot of my thinking. And I, I would literally sit, have a cup of tea, and talked to like you know the tv presenters and then this morning said would you also be kind enough to talk about what you're doing because vaccines periods are being affected for women uh what about the research around sort of you know masks and um so- social distancing homeschooling how's that going as a mom who's working as a doctor in the pandemic and for two years i literally thought i would do one gig and then they would take me off right And then what happened was for two years, I was the regular doctor on BBC Breakfast and ITV this morning. And gradually people got to know. But what happened was Middle England suddenly woke up. And they were like, Mm. there are women with hijabs who talk medicine. And firstly, I got a lot of just the fact that people were shocked to see me, someone who looks like me. So I got a lot of Islamophobia, racism, misogyny, that woman... So I would normally get like a tweet that would say that woman is telling me to wear a mask, you know, who the eff is she and things like that. And it it took BBC Breakfast, to be fair, kudos on them to step forward and call it out for what it was and be allies. And I think that is huge. But then on my social media, I thought everybody's on TikTok. Uh, I can't sing and dance, although you're very kind, Emma, to say that I can. And (laughs) what I can do is talk about medicine. And as I was doing that, it was actually people from my community. So Muslim Mm. women and Muslim men going, "Uh, sister, could you please do this behind closed doors? Because nobody wants to know about vaginas and nobody needs to know about (laughs) vulvas and nobody needs to know about how to do a self-breast examination to pick up breast cancer. And we don't want to know about HR. So I would constant. And in fact, a lot of my videos and my content would get pulled because people from my community would say it's breaking community violations. So it's been an uphill struggle to just for them to accept that these are conversations that need to be brought into the forefront. Me as a clinician, all I'm doing is stuff that I am doing with a closed consultation door. I'm just bringing this mm. to outside the consultation door because the time and time the data is showing that marginalised communities are those that are most adversely affected by the clinical pathways in the NHS.
1: So did that backlash ever make you think... I can't do this anymore or did it spur you on to
2: put even more stuff out there really because you saw the need for it? I think this is where you form allies and you form a tribe and what I did was I collected a tribe of women likewise and actually men who who supported me, fellow clinicians, fellow doctors because I'm sure you've noticed, um, you know, with your podcast being the effing hormones that the women's health space (laughs) is very loud and (laughs) Uh, very uh powerful voices are within that space as well and uh to then and also whether we like it or not uh, you know because the white community is a major majority of the community whereas we know black and asian communities 14 percent of the population in the uk however it is very much a white noise and i say that consistently mm. and i now make yep. no apologies for that because i think we've got to recognize that that is the case because that translates into the clinical pathway that i'm expected to deliver as an nhs gp so when a doctor come when a patient comes in and say she's a black woman who's got fibroids i've actually got no data uk data that i can give her i've got american data but i can't give her uk data but our clinical pathways are very white european centric so where is the space for the woman who's black trying to navigate herself through the nhs pathways so What happened was, was I started making this tribe of colleagues who are like-minded, who would boost me and say, it's okay. And the other thing I learned a lot, Emma, was to just, um, I found the block button. And I was just like, block, 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 delete, delete, delete. Um, Sensible. I I realized that those that want to listen to my message will find me. And those who don't want to listen to my message, then I'm not for them. I'm not their cup of tea. And I've made peace with it. That's fine. You go on and do your work and I'll do my work.
3: Nigat, you mentioned the experience of black women. One of the stats in your book, I love your book, by the way, it's absolutely fantastic. One of the stats in it that really shocked me was that black women in the UK are four times more likely to die in pregnancy and childbirth than white women. And I mean, we see some of these statistics at times, don't we, around the NHS and treatment of black and Asian women. It's like what what's happening to change that. I mean, I know your book is going a, a huge way towards that, but what can we do? And and what what's happening in that arena to to tackle this racism, but not just in the treatment of patients. The other thing that I I read was the workplace race equality standard in the NHS, which has shown that three in ten staff have faced racism and prejudice in the NHS. I mean, that in a Western society is really shocking. But I suppose my question is is how do you tackle that as a a woman of faith and a Muslim woman, but also a you know a, a clinician, a practitioner, and someone in your own
2: community? When it comes to um, calling out racism, it's really hard because that racism, we I always say it doesn't exist, but it's microaggressions, and as women, we will know what that means—that microaggression of just being a woman. Um, that there'll always be something that they'll do or say, and. Uh, unfortunately, gaslighting happens a lot. And let's break that down even further. Medical gaslighting happens even further. Let's start break down that statement even further. Medical gaslighting in Black and Asian communities happen further. And the reason being is because we don't have them included in the data. So why don't we have these individuals included in the data or these marginalised communities? Well, firstly, there's not a lot of trust within these marginalised communities of mainstream uh, organizations that want to carry out research and data. And this is because we've got to understand the historical co- um, colonialism and also slavery that has had to play a huge part. So I'll give you an example. The Sims speculum. So when you go in for cervical screening and we put a speculum inside you, that speculum was actually from Marion Sims, uh, the father of gynecology, who was an American physician who worked on the plantation fields. So He would actually experiment on black slave women by putting spoons and spatulas without anaesthesia in their vulva and vagina to understand the gynecological procedures to perform on white women who would get anaesthesia. And also that's how the development of the sim speculum. So it's something we use still now in 2023. God. But you know these that stories shocking. I don't think most people know no. that. That's horrific. No. no and these stories are are lived truths within the black community. And these stories travel from generation to generation because the only way to understand for black women to the hardships that they have is the only thing is for their generation to make sure that their history and the the foundation of gynecology has been made on black women is never erased. And when you've got that as a story that goes from generation from ancestors to ancestors so when we in 2023 say to black women we'd like you to take part in part in this research the first thing is is that what background have you got to say that this is safe for me well we really don't because it's mm. done unethically also what can you guarantee that i will actually be the recipient of the outcome well we don't too many times i've done research studies or been part of research studies and the black women say well, I filled out that questionnaire about endometriosis. Where is the actual doing bit? You said you were listen to me, but you're listening, but you're not actually doing and implementing any of the change. So the racism has to be called out where it can. You form allies where you possibly can. The overt misogyny has to be called out. And also we've got to recognize the, um, where gynecology has really owes its debt to. is the black and Asian and ethnic minority community women. And then build that trust gradually. I think at some point you just have to say, right, we're moving on from this, but we recognise where we come from uh, and honour that and then allow that trust to build. And trust is one of those hardest things. And then have ambassadors from those communities amplifying that message. For someone to see me who looks like them, who talks like them, that resonates far more in regards to information that I deliver. So I completely understand that the majority of people who see me on this morning firstly just stop because there's a woman of color and a woman of faith who is unapologetically herself. Uh, I think I heard Stormzy say, because I asked him about um, being a black man and having grime music and he just said, I cannot uh, whitewash my music any further because I will I will refuse to apologize for being a black man who grew up in inner state London and uh, Tower mm-hmm. Hamlets. I will refuse to Apologize for my blackness. And I think that has to come to a point where we just accept that I refuse to apologize for being brown. I refuse to apologize for wearing a hijab. I refuse for being a woman who's, you know, coming up to her 40s. You as women, you must, you know, refuse to apologize for being a menopausal or postmenopausal woman. I think that those, that's the only way to combat it, to combat the. The injustices that we see around us. Quite right. And You're the
1: only person on the podcast to name check Stormzy, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, love it. I don't think your presence on TV just resonates with um, women of colour or Muslim women. I'm. I love it that you're on TV. I love your book. I the first thing I opened no. when I I saw when I opened your book was women of colour, and every medical textbook I've ever looked at has shown women, white women or, you know, every med- every menopausal or perimenopausal resource we look at is majority of them until recently have been white women. And it's just so refreshing to to hear perspectives and to see other women represented. I just, I think it's brilliant.
2: There, there's a little story behind that, actually, because you're absolutely right. I studied at Barton in London and every textbook I would open would be either a line drawing of a vulva or a breast or it will be Caucasian skin and I would never see Women who look like me in it. So, when I was writing this book, the first thing I thought about is that nine year old Nagat came here as an immigrant, and I'm the first, of, I'm, I'm the eldest of five siblings. And I learned English. So, I naturally, as happens with lots of migrant families and refugee families in this country, is that the eldest will learn the language first before the parents do, and you end up being the translator. So, I went through translating for women in my community and not really understanding. I'm translating miscarriage or heavy periods or endometriosis or menopausal symptoms and then nearly 40 year old Nigat was thinking shit oh god I'm now a doctor and I'm still translating the same things if that makes sense and I'm still trying to decipher the same problems and how can I make sure that my women or women of color are represented and so the first I think seventh eighth page is a black vulva so the publishers, I have to say hats off to them, because when I spoke to them, I said, first, I want it illustrated, which makes the book really expensive anyway. The minute you say, I'm going to put some pictures in there, that's it, it's expensive. And then I said, but I want different shades. I don't want just black. I want all the way down to Caucasian. And then were okay. The first illustration of the black vulva went to the printers, and then they sent it back going, could you lighten the color? <gasps> Why? Wow. Yeah. Because it made it really expensive and also because the the tags couldn't be seen clearly on the black skin. So the the labeling couldn't be. And I refused and my publishers were like, we refuse to do this. So my publisher said, what we'll do is we'll go around the picture and we'll take up space on the page. And I thought, that's why in medical school, the books are so expensive to make and produce. So what they've always done is defaulted to the cheapest way of producing books. But also, it realized, yeah, which is line drawing, which also made me realize then that historically, even in medicine, we hate women taking up space on a page. Oh, that is so, So this is a meta, this is metaphorically correct. So for a woman's vulva, I've had to go around and I was like, we're going, I'm going to take up as much space as I, so it's taken up a whole page. Brilliant. Brilliant doesn't that translate into society as a whole as mm. women we're told mm. to be small and demure. be quiet don't mm. talk about your perimenopause don't talk about your desire and sexual libido be small be 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 smaller take up less space and so for me the book became this passion project where i was like take as much <laughs> bloody space as <laughs> you Brilliant. want Take yeah.
1: it. <laughs> fill it with black vulva's
2: Yes. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that is absolutely awesome. And I just wanted to sort of hark back to what you, what you said previously there about I'm not going to apologise for be, being this. I'm not going to apologise for being that. And for me, that's so beautifully represented in this book as well because you've got these beautiful pages with like mission statements on that are just like if I had read some of those mission statements, you know, when I was like a 12, 13, 14 year old young girl becoming a woman Honestly, I think it would have changed my life. They are so fantastic and positive, and I love it. And and, and you can take them and go. I'm not. Yeah, this this is everything. This, it's so unapologetic and and joyful.
2: So thank you for doing it. And that that was done on purpose because when I came here, I when mother the first thing that she re- when she realised that her 12 year old, so her mother doesn't speak English, so her 12 year old is menstruating. She's you know gave me the biggest pad possible. Those yes. sort of bricks, yeah exactly The ones, exactly with no pads and when I was about 15 and the matron at the school said by the way you don't need to get abrasions and leakage from your pad because there's pads with wings and I was like hold on a minute there's pads with wings it was a game changer right and, and it was just like what is this and suddenly when you start being being unapologetic and you take away the shame and the taboo no one mm. can then force that on you right mm. and so then you have to take ownership as well and when I wrote this I thought I really want I really wish nine-year-old Nigat had this so it's very much written in my tone so it's not a medical book per se it's an accessible book and I'm dyslexic so I made sure that it was on colored paper so people who are neurodiverse can read this quite easily with all the pictures and so it there were so many layers of thought that went in. it. took me two years to write this. So my heart and soul went into it. And then to have people who are colleagues like Dr. Zoe from this morning or Dame Leslie Regan, who is the ambassador for uh, the Women's Health Ambassador for, the, for England, uh, which is the first women's health strategy that we've got, to say, I wish I had something like this when I was younger, mm-hmm. was like so music much. to my ears because I thought, yeah. oh, my contemporaries, who are usually the harshest critics. They like this This is good
1: So when you sat down To write it When you came up With the idea Who were you writing it for Why did you want to write it
2: I was writing it For nine year old And that's the honest truth Aww. She was She was constant, Constantly in my mind And in fact The audio version Of the book If you listen to it And I read the acknowledgements I start crying a lot Because I have to Aww. stop Because I think that People always say to you, ask me, you know, where uh, what is success, Doctor Arif? You know, are you successful because you became a doctor as a migrant child? And I keep thinking, do you know what success is? Not even awards or being on this amazing podcast. Because although this is success, oh, but like it's <laughs> it's what you have up here in your brain, and to physically then touch it and grasp it, and then pass that on your knowledge to your community and say. Light your candle in this, so you have knowledge, and then light it on further and then further, and then somewhere down the line, even when I'm dead and gone, there could be another nine year old megat who will just say, "Oh, I already know about pads with wings <laughs> and that's I and <laughs> <laughs>
4: you're making me feel a bit emotional. This is so inspiring and brilliant thank you
5: i mean you you were aiming at nine year i mean we're all sort of a similar generation really but what do you think about education for girls at school now, today? Is it better?
2: I do think it's better. It's better for my generation. If you remember, I don't know how it was yes. for you guys. It was like the boys and the girls were split up. So the boys were all, you know, taken one way and we were then taken another way. We were never together. It was like, okay, The I remember we had a lady from uh, Always, the the, the company, mm. come and talk to us. And she showed us tampons and she showed us pads and and she was like, a lot of girls don't bleed that much. You probably only get like a tablespoon of blood. When I started bleeding. I know. It that was a, that, that that's that's tablespoon alive. of
5: blood thing is just Such nonsense. A lie. Such but, a load and, of
2: nonsense. <laughs> and then she showed me a tampon and I took a tampon home and I showed it to my mom. My mother was horrified and she was like, oh my God, you can't have this. This will break your hymen and people will think that you're not a virgin. So tampons were off the table Gosh. and that stuck in my head and now I'm a doctor who does women's health and it was only till I was about 34 and I thought, why don't I use tampons to make my life a lot easier? And that's when I self taught and watched YouTube videos on how to insert a tampon. And I think that this just shows, even as doctors, we all have our own limited knowledge and there's a different way of how our uh, upbringing really impacts our understanding of our bodies. And if you have... A culture where you're hypersexualized, so your boobs are hypersexualized, your vulva and your vagina are hypersexualized, and you think that they're not part of you. There's shame attached to them. You don't even want to learn to actually make your life a lot easier. And so, on that respect, yeah, I think that we have moved on so much in regards to schoolgirl education. And then on top of that, the next layer is now social media. There are a whole generation of women who are growing up empowered, but amongst that we've got to make sure that we completely always come back to control who controls women's bodies and it's Mm. women themselves. So Roe versus Mm. Wade, the fact that a government can decide your abortion Mm. when abortion is healthcare, the fact that social media at some time still airbrushes women and uses that as the aesthetic or the we still see blonde, white, slim faces in AI. And if I put myself in AI, I don't see myself at all still. The fact that the aesthetic of beauty is still white European centric. And so someone who looks like me is not considered beautiful. I mean, I don't mind that, but we still value um, sort of what's on the outside than what's on the inside. And I think that's something that we continue to learn, but also then trying to educate women back to the basics about their body, because we always get this backlash about, oh, the pill is awful. And Um, you don't need to do, you know, all these misinformation. So it's that constant battle of misinformation with technology is, is where we're heading. Do you think we're getting better at breaking down those taboos
1: or do you think like even women are guilty sometimes of, you know, not talking about things enough? And I just listened to a really interesting interview you did in which you were talking about one of your patients who said to you, and this was a very educated woman you said, who said, why do you keep banging on about the menopause our mothers went through it our grandparents went through it our aunties went through it it's just part of old age stop talking about it just get on with it
2: you know that that sort of stuff is still going on is it so we are definitely getting better i mean look at you guys four incredibly empowered women but if you think back a decade ago were you making? podcasts about this. no we didn't
4: we didn't know anything about it that's why we did it no,
5: I mean we, we started <laughs> it because there wasn't anything I mean this is we started this before the, the, the sort of the Davina revolution yeah you did um and you know that there was nothing and actually we started it because we had no fucking clue yeah, what was we, going we did on it because
4: our mums our mums hadn't spoken to us about it we have a lot of agency as
5: individuals we're all educated you know like we're all we're all sp- We've, we cannot all go off and find information we don't need it spoon feeding and the information was just lacking and as you say with the internet there's so much crap on yeah. there you google something and I've got a theory about American farmer hijacking the internet putting loads of crap out there to try and get you to go and buy stuff and now I think there's become um, you know the the companies and the corporates are all cashing in on it as well, right? Yeah. Uh, and on one hand, I'm like, "Well, where the fuck have you all been all this time?" And on the other hand, obviously they're seeing it as a cash cow now, and so there's another layer of what you know. You, not I wouldn't say misinformation, but it's just difficult for people to navigate because there's so much out there now. It's so start missing.
2: with the book, and, and Bina, you're absolutely right, and that that joins with yeah, with with sort of what Terry's saying, but what Emma's saying as well. You you have to start somewhere, but if you start with the NHS. The NHS is actually still written and managed mm-hmm. by men who are white middle-class men. And the NHS so far, even though menopause information, the website was outdated data. It was still talking mm-hmm. about how HRT causes breast cancer and all women shouldn't be off it. So... It's really difficult to decipher because where do we move on as a society or where is technology moving on is really tricky. I mean, my book has already been outdated already. I won't say that out loud, but I when <laughs> I look at it now and I'm like, oh my God, it took me two years to write and there are bits that are outdated already. But the whole point is is that we empower women who are vocal and also knowledgeable enough like you guys to use your platform to amplify messages, to empower women. And that's what I see. say about lighting your candle of knowledge, because when you do mm. that, it means multiple other women are empowered at the same time. And then there comes to a point where you just say, I'm not gonna stand for BS anymore. I, I, I know what I'm right." And that also allows companies to know that they can't tell, sell us snake oil. It comes with collaboration. Mm-hmm. Women, historically, throughout history, women are amazing resources to tap into for money, right? Whether it's our self-esteem, buy this bra and you'll be amazing. Whether it's face, buy the white lipstick and all men will flock to your feet, whether it's a perfume. There is nothing that the women's sexuality cannot be used to sell. And menopause is is one of the trappings of that, unfortunately. And and Mm -hmm. we have to be the individuals, the moderators, to decide that. Because if we switch off it, then the companies know that they can't use our insecurities to sell us shit. Mm Oh, God. You are
5: speaking my language. When are language. you going to become health? I was going to say, when are you going to become health
2: minister? <laughs> oh,
1: that's a good idea, <laughs> Baina.
2: I've worked with ministers, honestly, and no, I wouldn't touch that much
3: more. No. <laughs> so you were saying about that, you know, just in terms of the um, the commercial side of being a woman, one of the facts in your book really um, really stood out, and that was that women spend, on average, £18,450 on products which are geared towards... Oh, my God. God. I know, when I heard that, yes. I thought, oh, my God, I could have put that in yeah. an ISA when I was, like, 12 oh or something and had, you know,
2: paid a, paid a mortgage
3: off by now. But
2: Yeah. And, and get this, this is even more crazy. Uh, uh, on average, a woman bleeds for seven years of her life. Oh,
1: wow. wow. What did you actually say that money went on? Products geared towards period.
2: So... Yeah, painkillers, pads. It might even be sort of time of work, sickness. Well, remember, time is money, right? We forget mm-hmm. that our time is so valuable and we don't monetize it as much as men do. Uh, I often look at my husband who's a solicitor and he will monetize everything. Every bit of work, time, and he will put money against time, which mm. is, I as a doctor, as a GP who works in the NHS, you... My, my, honestly, it's like pulling teeth if I try to get money out of the NHS, right? <laughs> the right I can imagine. Yeah. Let alone my time as a woman, even childcare. We saw it in the pandemic. What happened? Well, women were told to go back home because unfortunately society still sees women's role as being the maternal figure and the caretaker. And our time is superfluous to men's time because men's time is far more expensive. And so they're valued. And what happened when lockdown came and uh, everybody could go back to work and start commuting. My husband commutes into London and he sort of in June-July time when the lockdown was lifted and he was shocked because he took a photo and sent it to me and he said, in my train carriage there are only men, I cannot see any women. And it was because women were still homeschooling or they had been made redundant in in the pandemic, which shows, which shows from the Fawcett study how little we value still our women, our society. If you think of it as a as a household as a home, we don't invest in the foundations, which is the women, and then constantly we're saying, "Oh, but our economy needs to thrive." And if you look at the data, if you support women with their healthcare, women and girls. So understanding about period products, if you're understanding about the cost, of the taxation that's got put on on period products, uh, the painkillers they're twice or three times, doubly more expensive than stay standardised, care painkillers, hospital appointments, women wait longer for painkillers. I mean, the the catalogue of stuff that isn't geared towards women. And then we say, oh, how can we make the economy thrive? Well, if you invest in women and girls and make them well, household as well, then the blinking economy thrives. Like, everybody... We'll no, this is, this is it. No it's brainer, just no. such. It's such
5: a no-brainer. If men though. had periods; you know? they'd have
1: free period products. I think that oh, would happen, wouldn't absolutely it? Absolutely available. Available.
5: If, if men, if men got pregnant, how different would the world?
2: <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> and and we. and could men, uh, men, uh, men, I went no. to uh, there was a King's Trust meeting recently, and they were talking about women's health, and then somebody piped up and said, "But we need men's health as well," and I just thought, "Okay, uh, 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 I sort of had to take a moment to think about this, and I said, "You know what? You're right. We do need men's health. We need better prostate cancer uh, pickup rates and tests, and we need to think about men's cardiovascular problems. But actually, do you know what? Men are doing really well in regards to all of that. In regards they've to the research, they've invented Viagra. Yes, <laughs> that's going to go. You know, what I mean? like, and it's available over the yeah. counter. And yeah. Estrogenism. Well, we vaginal
3: estrogen. Yeah. There are more exactly. health risks with Viagra, aren't there? There are more health risks with Viagra than there are
2: with women having testosterone. Exactly, and topical vaginal oestrogen. And I remember in my surgery, I, went to, I was asked to do a talk and I thought to myself, okay, uh, I'll go and do this talk about you know, women in medicine and how as an NHS doctor I'm doing women's health. But the day before, I was doing a coil clinic and I, on a busy NHS clinic, I can do up to eight coils, you know, copper to hormonal coils like Marina. And I have a copper coil. And unfortunately, I know that I'm, I will flood. And on this particular occasion, I got caught out with my sanitary products. So I'm doing my coil clinic. And as I got up from my chair, my patient saw fine. I flooded through my scrubs onto the mm-hmm. chair. The nurse, bless her, was aghast because she was like, don't try if you're bleeding down your leg. The patient was more worried about me, even though I had just done her coil. And I was just like, don't worry, guys. You know, I I can tell you what's happening. I'm flooding because I've been really poor with my sanitary products. It's been a really busy day. And I'm just going to nip upstairs and go to the toilet. Our NHS surgery has nine women and two men. And did we have any sanitary products? No, we had no no sanitary products in our own NHS practice. So I used toilet roll, as lots of women will know that experience Mm, of using toilet roll to clean yourself up. Drove to the practice village and then brought loads of sanitary products and then brought them back now i'm from a place of privilege i completely understand that i'm a doctor yes i've got some money so buying some sanitary products is absolutely fine and this is where i have a real issue with say you know um period poverty so terms like that means that we normalize issues around periods and the fact that our sanitary products are here i will give you this because you've been a good girl and you can have it no these are our basic rights. Our body mm. bleeds. We on average bleed for seven years. The fact that you're giving this and sanctioning it, we wouldn't sanction water. We wouldn't sanction mm. you know, guttering. We wouldn't sanction air. But you are sanctioning something that I cannot control my body from doing on a monthly mm. basis, and yet we will flower it around by going period poverty. Mm. I hate that term because what it means is that women feel that it's on them to make sure that they fix the problem. And we're all in the same sort of storm, the women's house storm and the period storm. We've just got different sized boats and we're managing to sort of struggle against that. But we as women need to call out BS like this. It's not period poverty. It's poverty. And you need to deal with the problem as a society. It's not a woman's problem. Well mm. said.
3: Brilliant. Period inequality, you call it as well, don't you, in your in your book?
2: Yeah, I yeah. do. I call I call it period inequality because That is one of the starkest inequalities that we teach girls from the age of 10 because they start menstruating at the age of 10. So the girls at age of 10 already know the game. And Mm -hmm. as a mother, doesn't that break your heart that I'm teaching my daughter at the age of 10, okay, this is how you play the game. This is how you manage your periods. This is how you keep quiet about blood and don't tell your boyfriend. This is how you hide your bodily function because blood is disgusting. Or you're not allowed to go to the mosque because... It's seen as unclean. And we use these words, unclean, hygiene. There's no male hygiene products. Like, tell me that there are and I'd be amazed. And that would be fabulous. And we tell women to put up with pain consistently. I'll tell you another story. I used to do vasectomies. Like, not me, but I used to assist on vasectomies when I was a junior doctor. And to do vasectomies, a person would get two appointments. So the man would come in and... Often it's because they love the woman in their life and they want to not have her have hormonal contraception and they want to be part of the contraceptive conversation. Sometimes, I'll be honest, they were either bullied into it by their partner (laughs) to come in and have a vasectomy Mm -hmm. and they would come in, have the first consultation. On the day of their appointment, they would either be horrified by the equipment and leave off the table and say, "Uh, this isn't for me and go home. And then tell their partner whatever they were going to say.
4: Like to see how they cope with
2: giving birth and comparing
4: all well, you have to just go to through with that. It. Like just For a test. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean?
2: They would, they, would have the, uh, they would have the vasectomy, and then on their way home, they, and even in the consultation before the vasectomy, they would be offered diclofenac, codeine if they needed it, and up to a six week sick note if they needed it. <laughs> six weeks? Wow. wow. Yes. For a vasectomy. For the snip? i have women and it's reversible and it's It's reversible reversible. yeah partially reversible i have women who have come in for a marina coil in their lunch hour and no one's spoken to them about pain relief and i'm like this is what you know So I'm a big stickler about pain relief for women Mm, and there isn't that much about it that women have accessible information about pain relief and then they'll be like yeah i'm gonna pick up the kids from school and take the bus back to work because I've got this and this ah, I've just done a procedure on you this is yeah you need to be taking it easy for about five days and they're like no no no. I've got to get back to work. I've literally had women come in in their lunch hour because they've got mm. to get back to a meeting and they that's how that's the disparity the inequality that we have taught from the age of 10 to say this is how you play the game yeah. And I've just had enough of it now. I just think that... that...
4: Good on you. I mean, I, I had IVF and um, when I had the egg retrieval, I had absolutely no idea Like that actually... I thought I was going to be at work the next day and I told work the next day that I was going to be back at work. And and because as well, I'd just started a new job as well. And you, don't, you don't want to say, oh, I'm going for IVF. Oh, hey, I might be pregnant. You can just get rid of me, right? You know what I mean? Um, so you don't say anything. So I had to ring and I said, I've had... Minor surgery. (laughs) You played (laughs) the game. No idea. I played the game. You're so right. And I just wanted to say that, you know, obviously we come from the perspective of perimenopause and menopause. That's like the emphasis of this podcast. But, you know, what you're talking about is really a lifelong of playing the game as you've identified and. And, and, and I, I became very aware of the perimenopause taboo, but actually there's always been a taboo around talking. I mean, girls will talk about it in the changing rooms at school and have you had your period yet and all this, that and the other. But it's not like I'd go out on a date as a young woman in the 20s and say, oh, I'm just going to go and sort my um, sort my tampon out, love. Do you know what I mean?
1: Mm. Y- yeah. you, you
4: do play the game. Can I, can I ask you, and, and we're we'll, we'll kind of getting to the end here, but young women who are around now, there's a lot to negotiate here we we're trying to knock down the doors when it comes to perimenopause and menopause and you're providing really inspiring um things in in your book and ways to navigate this situation but what would you say to young women who are entering into this world from now to menopause to to kind of empower them i guess
2: firstly know your biological journey that's all i would say so we are all on a biological journey that we transition from our periods, to our puberty years into our fertility years into perimenopause menopause and postmenopause and beyond and that's really important your journey doesn't just stop in your fertility years when you're in your 20s you think you're bomb proof i mean i definitely mm. did i was like that's absolutely fine now i'm approaching my 40s i'm like oh actually i'm not that bomb proof <laughs> and there are aches and pains and so what we need to be doing is empowering our 30 year olds and our 20 year olds about perimenopause and menopause but also that starts in the home the grandmother doesn't tell the granddaughter about her journey into perimenopause and menopause. The mother who might be going through fertility stuff doesn't tell her, her mother and so forth. And so we work inside those. The amount of times I've had women come into my practice and said, I wish my mother had told me about vaginal atrophy because I put her in a nursing home and I knew that her recurrent urinary tract infections now, with mm-hmm. the knowledge that I have, was because of vaginal atrophy and I could have helped her with vaginal oestrogen. And that's heartbreaking because you just think, you're three generations in a household and you're working in silos. Why is it that we have this within ourselves as women? But also we need to get the men as well. This is not a, a woman versus man conversation about perimenopause. The men in your life love and adore you, and I'm sure they want to help you through your perimenopause and menopause journey. Explain to them. One question that I constantly get asked by men is, what can I do to support my partner? And I say to them, Ask open questions. Ask her what she needs. What do you need that I can support you with? Because don't tell her that this is what she needs to do about her hot sweats or this is what she needs to do about her libido. (laughs) Exactly, because (laughs) you'll get a punch in the face. (laughs) Shut up. But it does
5: happen. You get, I've literally, I've heard I've heard men mansplain periods to women before. Exactly. It's fucking hilarious.
2: It is hilarious. How are you like even? (laughs) Exactly. And, and I think that also we've got to um, open up our LinkedIn experiences because I always say that we're, we're, we're from a privileged place and we have a lens of privilege. But if you've got you know six children and you've got another mm. child that you're thinking of having an arranged marriage for and you've got to get two buses to your local hospital just to get a smear test, your LinkedIn experiences of access to healthcare is going to be so Very much different, different mm. to, yeah. say, somebody like us who are just like, oh, I can just do it on an app. And so what we need to do is able to accommodate for those individuals and then have that clinical pathways where we can support them. But when it comes to 20-year-olds, it's just to uh, envisage the fact that you're going to live to 100. And so it's on the ownership of us, I would say I'm an old biddy, but ownership on us to say to 20-year-olds, it's not a pl- time to fear at all. In fact, the menopause and perimenopause, as, as I'm sort of approaching perimenopause, is a game changer. You suddenly don't have to deal with your periods anymore. You actually can call out BS whenever you like. You can yeah. dye your hair purple if you wanted to, and it's amazing time in your mm-hmm. life. You can say that you enjoy sex, and if you want to have sex with multiple partners, it's on you as long as no one's being hurt or whatever. You can have like so much access to uh, condoms, mm-hmm. sex toys, uh, lubrications, moisturizers, and the Chinese turn this time in our life as a second spring. Mm. And I completely agree mm. with that because in my culture, I'm Pakistani, we never see the menopause as something to fear. In fact, it's rejuvenation. It's time to reinvent yourself and then suddenly pursue the things that you love. Mm. Love that. Wow.
4: And thank you for helping us break down silos because, yeah, it's, it's all, we'll just keep carrying on. That's the no, way to go, isn't that's it? That's
2: exactly yeah. what I need to do, and I need you to keep like swearing about it, which is amazing. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <it as> well. <laughs> can,
1: I, can I just say, you're probably that the young you started off this uh, podcast saying how old you were, but you're probably one of the youngest women that we've interviewed because you've not even started yeah. your menopause. But b- by God, you're ready
2: for it, aren't you? You, you want <laughs> all the information <laughs> when it hits you, you're not going to be phased, are you? I, I, I mean, I, this is the world that I'm in, women's health, but do you know what I often say to my the, when I was writing the book, I wanted to sort of sit on any coffee table and that um, anybody in the household could pick it up. And it's not like the covers got no vulvas and vaginas. And that was done on purpose mm-hmm. because I t- kept on saying, that I wish somebody would give this as a gift to me and it's the gift of the knowledge because mm. I think mm. that is the best thing that you can give anybody that I mean beyond chocolates by the way I love chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but that that is that is the thing that would really help somebody to empower themselves about their bodies and also if I could do a gift basket so we do gift baskets and baby showers and pregnancy baskets and loads of stuff for puberty as well but we don't do that for perimenopause or menopause oh. and if i could have a gift basket for go. my 40 year old friends i would Such say to idea. her i would say to put in there different sanitary products if you're still having periods because your periods will be erratic i would put in their vaginal moisturizers i would put in their estrogen as well a fan <laughs> absolutely a small fan Fibres, clothing, which absorb your sweat and so that you're not having hot flashes at all. And then I would sort of give this gift basket and say, your sex life will thank me in 10 years' time. Shall
1: <laughs> so we copyright this now? Because we could all be millionaires this time next year with that idea.
5: Let's start selling this. You, you,
2: to totally you should totally
5: do it. Are you sure you don't want to be health minister? Women's health minister.
2: I'll be giving gift baskets of a vagina wash to us. On the
0: cafe trail. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: well thank you so so much for joining us and I'm, we're just absolutely thrilled to get you on the podcast because I think you're a genuine and honest inspiration to women and men across the country oh, so thank such an honour thank you. you such an honour thank, yeah. thank, thank you
2: thank
4: you you're fabulous we love you
2: oh I love you too
1: and that's it for this episode of Effin Hormones. Thank you for listening. And if you can spare a couple of quid to help us make this podcast, we would be eternally grateful. Just head to effinghormones.com and scroll down to Be an f in Star. All you need to do is click on that star and it will take you to the right place. Now, you will hear from us again in about a month or so. And in the meantime, enjoy Menopause
0: Awareness Month. Take care. Bye. f in hormones can be found on apple podcasts spotify amazon music or wherever you find your podcasts and it is so so worth your time once you've tapped follow for that show don't forget to do the same for this show too so you can find your next podcast all my recommendations from the whole series will also be on podcast rex at www.podcastrex.com that is www.podcastrex.com